0: Our scripture for this morning. It is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And as you might have guessed, it is the wedding in Cana of Galilee. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, The mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God of Revelation, you made your son known at a wedding, a public celebration of love. Celebrate love with us by revealing Jesus in our midst. Amen.
1: Thank you. Uh, so who here this morning has been to a wedding before? Alright. Who here has maybe hosted a wedding before? A couple. Yeah. Who here has been a product of a wedding before? A few of us. Yeah. A few of us aren't in any of those categories, so I don't know. But, um, not fun. Uh, Anyway, so uh, yeah, I've been to so many weddings. I've done a few weddings. I've been privy to just hang out at some weddings. And when I think about like memorable, uh, someone help me here. Memorable. Memorable. Thank you. (laughs) Moments. uh, I uh, I think of a lot of different things. I think about Josh and Kayla's wedding. If you guys were Josh and Kayla's wedding, I mean it was just off the chain. You know, I mean there was an espresso bar. It's like a Polaroid booth, you know, chandeliers in a barn, like, you know, it's like, like someone's still drooling over these photographs on Instagram or something. You know, uh, you know uh, uh, over 10 years later, I'm still talking, I still tell people about the rehearsal dinner at uh, Zach and Melanie's wedding. It was just off the chain. Zach, for those who don't know, has like an Italian grandmother who like, like has a restaurant or something. Anyway, there were like nine courses it was just like it was just off the chain it was it was amazing uh we we actually to, speaking of uh, uh wedding moments we we've actually been to uh weddings that didn't exist before uh one time uh, emily's roommate was getting married and we got an invitation we drove like all the way in the middle of nowhere alabama okay and then we get there and then there's no wedding like the only person in the church was the janitor and he was like what what are you talking about you know and we're like like the one we drove from nashville for you know Uh, anyway, so, you know, not everyone follows your Facebook, so if you break it off, like, let let people know. Uh, so, anyway, um, been been to a lot of weddings. Uh, you know, weddings are, weddings are a lot of work. Like, I get, I get why people just want to elope sometimes. You know, it's like the cake and the dresses and the espresso bar, you know, just like everything that's involved, you know, it's, it's just like some, the pressure's on. Uh, especially if you're like the... Is it was it the bride's family that normally is sort of like the host? What's culturally appropriate? You know, I always get it mixed up. Depends on if you're from the south. You know, then it's just like y'all just throw something in now. You know, bring your own chair. Uh, But but in general, like I mean, there's kind of a lot of pressure, Uh, particularly within a first-century Jewish world. Okay, Uh, it was it was like a you know pressurized crockpot, if you will, Uh, and so. Uh, this was an a honor-based society. And so uh, the wedding was a big deal. It would actually go on for days. In the text, it says uh, Jesus uh, showed up on uh, the third day of the wedding. right? Uh, which also, by the way, uh, there's a few things in John's Gospel. Actually, there's like millions of things in John's Gospel. John's Gospel is like amazing, okay? And there are these eight sons. There's all this stuff. And John's constantly throwing stuff in. And he's like, hey, hey, hey. And, and already he's like, uh, on the third day, <laughs> you know, Jesus shows up. And, uh, anyway, but Jesus comes, this wedding's going on for days, and, and, uh, weddings, uh, at this point, especially, they would have invited just the whole village. Uh, and for a village uh, as small as Cana, they would have probably even invited a few outlier villages. Uh, and so, this thing had just sort of been going. And, uh, the party's, the party's uh, going. So, it was a big deal. Um, but also, um, uh, the entire reputation of a family would have been on the line. And so, uh, if if the wine were to run out, okay, you're talking about, like, family name, uh, right? You're talking about lineage, right? So this was a big deal uh, for this little family. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of funny because, like, well, like, nobody's dying, you know? No one's limbs are falling off, you know? There's no one starving here, uh, you know, there's no... Blind person to heal, you know. In fact, none of that stuff has even happened yet in John's gospel. Uh, and so, what eludes uh, many is that John finds it crucial to call this first uh, this 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 wedding in Cana right here, John chapter two, like as the the first sign, right? Uh, the first sign, uh, not miracle sign, right? This thing that points to whom. Uh, Jesus is to, to what this uh, what this glory is, and what this what this is all about. To the person, the identity of Christ. Uh, so this first sign happens here as as Jesus supposedly turns water uh, into wine here at this uh, wedding, right? I mean, it's sort of elusive, right? It's 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 sort of ordinary, right? Jesus does his first sign at this sort of like ordinary wedding when the goods run out, like, and, and then that's, and that's that's what it is, uh, and so. And you begin to think, mm, okay, so why why did the wine run out? Uh, we don't really know. It's sort of a side point. Uh, you know, some, some scholars even think that it was sort of like a BYOW issue. You know, I don't know if that were true or not. But, you know, and Jesus being homeless as he is, shows up with his entire homeless posse. And then they're, you know, they're drinking wine, you know, not bringing anything. <clears throat> and so, you know, could have been, I don't know. But uh, anyway, we don't really know. They run out of wine. So it's a big problem for a little family. Is it earth-shattering? Is it world-changing? Is it cosmic? Um, maybe not. But for this little family, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a big deal. So Jesus still does this thing. Uh, and so there are these, uh, these six huge containers uh, containing collectively about uh, 120 gallons. Right? So think of, like a, think of like a gallon jug of milk like, we, we, like, never get a gallon jug of milk anymore. And I remember uh, when we lived, uh, when I lived in Germany, like, the little, like, you buy these little cartons of milk, you know, and they're not even refrigerated. I don't know how they do it still. Uh, but, uh, you know, and so I remember when I got back to the States and I first, like, picked up, a, like, a real jug, gallon of milk, you know, you're like, this is enormous. Like, you know, am I going to drink all that? You know, it's like, we wonder why we're having, you know, cancer. Anyway, uh, that's another sermon. Sorry. Just, uh, just getting on that. Uh, anyway, uh, so imagine 120 of those, right? Uh, somewhere around Cana today, the myth, the legend goes that they're still sipping on this wine. Okay, so like 120 gallons of wine. You know, they say whenever they drink the last sip, God will return. You know, I just made that up. I'd be like a really good Indiana Jones movie, though. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, anyway, 120 gallons. Right. This is huge okay, so much wine, uh, and as many of you probably know, I'm an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene, which also simultaneously means I'm not a wine connoisseur, okay, uh, and so and I don't want to get into all that today, but there are reasons for that, um, but uh, there's this, there's this uh, story about this guy, and also on the side note, I will say, I think, I, I think I'm on the fringe of, of uh, I'm definitely probably a chocolate connoisseur, you know. We can talk about it later if you guys want. Maybe and probably a coffee. I think co- I think wine, coffee, and chocolate have a lot in common. So you guys can can we can debate that later if you want. <laughs> but um, there's this uh, story. This guy has a friend who lives in wine country. He's like a winemaker. And um, excuse me, I'm kind of struggling. Uh, and uh, he wants to introduce his other friend to his winemaker friend. He's like, watch this. know. Yeah. And so they got this just random bottle of wine, they poured a glass, and they took it in there to him. And this guy had, uh, he knew nothing about this wine, right? And so he, he took this glass of wine, and he gave it to him, and the guy took a sip, you know, he kind of swishes it around, and he says, you know, probably rained a lot that fall. It was harvested in April, Right, it was, yeah, it was was grown on the south side of a hill at about 2,000 feet. Hmm, there are two kinds of grapes here. The soil was such and such, right? They left the grapes outside actually for a couple days, and it was stored in a wooden barrel for over two years. French oak, probably 200 years old. They only grow these in France you know and he's just he's just going on you know you're like I'm, I'm swishing it around you know and uh, you know it's basically like if you gave me a chocolate bar that's pretty much how I respond but um, anyway but it was like this is this is incredible you know like, this is like this is crazy uh, you know wine these sorts of things they're very uh, there's something about them that that connect us to the earth right uh, that 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 uh, that's earthy, that's real, that's that's tangible, right? The the wood, uh, the light, uh, the sun, the the altitude, the proximity to the ocean, right? All this is sort of very uh, earthy and and real, uh, right? And uh, if you missed my uh, sermon a couple weeks ago on the incarnation, uh, first shame on you. Uh, but uh, <laughs> second, it was it was titled. Um, Earth, fire, wind, water. Anyone? Hearts. Oh, come on, Captain Planet, people. You know, go, Jesus. Anyway. Jeez, uh, man, how old are you kids? Uh, Google Captain Planet when you get home and just don't talk to me until afterwards. But um, anyway, uh, it, it's, uh, the incarnation is, is, is earthy. It's about uh, the physical world, right? Uh, it's about that which we, we can touch and, and see and, and feel. The incarnation is, is not, um, it's not this sort of like mystical, uh, spiritual thing that's floating around this holy interwebs uh, of spiritual spaces that we can sort of reach up and grab with our frontal lobes and bring down and like swish them around in our, bra- in our head, you know, it's like the incarnation, you know. Everyone do this now, I'm just uh, like it's, it's nothing about that, right? Uh, the incarnation, right? The Word made flesh, right there in John 1. Uh, it, it's, it's about what we, we touch. It's about what we see and hear and smell and taste, right? Uh, so there's this, there's this uh, kid's book uh, that without fail, it's so long. And without fail, story will pick it like every other night to read, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh. And uh, it's so long because it goes through the five senses. And, it, and after every English phrase, there's a Spanish phrase. And, uh, and so you're like, I see the dog. And then it's like, oigo, perro, you know, and, uh, you know, it's like, and, and each, each sense gets six pages So anyway, it was like, when we're done with it, I'm just like, it's time for bed, honey, climb in, you know, and uh, no song tonight, you know, and um, it's just incredible, but we read it the other night, and I was like, it just kind of clicked, I was like, well, this book is obviously, uh, right, it's about the senses, right, and it's called, I hear a pickle because it crunches, I touch a pickle, it's slimy, I smell the pickle, it's salty or whatever, you know, I taste the pickle, it's sour, I don't know, you know, you, you, uh, what am I missing here? See, I tried not to I don't know. Anyway. Five senses. And it occurred to me, I was like, she has no idea what the five senses are. To her, this is just like a book. You know, like she's not getting she's not getting the picture. And so I'm like, well, why didn't you explain this? Yeah. And I was like, so honey, there are these five senses. Right? And, I, and who's ever tried to do, like tell someone for the first time, like a four-year-old, what the five senses are? You know, like so so we know the world. Uh, the way we experience the world is through these five senses, right? How you see and smell and, and taste and hear and touch. You know, it's like, that's how we know the world. Like, I'm like this, I'm like painting this picture and, you know, she's yawning, you know. And um, it's like it's like, this is how we know the world. The incarnation. This is how we know Christ. This is how we know the world. It is earthy. It is ordinary. It is real. It is tangible, right? And so, I think uh, modern Christianity has done a pretty bang-up job at um, maybe over-spiritualizing uh, our faith, uh, salvation, right? Because salvation is about this, this <laughs> prayer that we pray so that our names can get written in this good book, right, by God, and he's like, you're in the book, and then you get to die uh, and, and escape. Uh, it's right, and, and we fly away. And then whenever God comes back, we know not have to be part of the judgment when He's like raining down fire and burning this place up. Uh, and so it's like this, this you know, it's a ticket to ride for your soul. Uh, and and uh, there's a really good um, Toby Mac remix from about two thousand one, two thousand one with uh, Kirk Franklin. Ticket to Ride, oh my gosh, dude. Someone stole the album from me in college and I still haven't forgiven them. But uh, it's just like, Got a Ticket to Ride, oh, that's so good, we'll play it. Uh, anyway, but uh, we've, we've done such a good, we've, we've over-spiritualized it, right? And so that, so much so that our everyday stuff, our, our Monday through Saturday, right, all the, all the real stuff, it's, it's like, well, this doesn't matter. It's almost, like, it's almost like it's just like a waiting room, you know? It's like, just like a waiting. We're just here waiting. Yeah. Chris Weston, Jesus will see you now. Yeah, you know, just, we're just waiting. to get out here, dude. He's calling me. We're waiting. The new, church, uh, the new Testament church dealt with this as well. You know what they called it? You know what they called it. Gnosticism. Right. Gnosticism. It's a disembodied gospel right? It's a disembodied gospel. They're in conflict with this. Physical things are bad, spiritual things are good, and if you want to be really spiritual, leave this world behind. Soil, sex, food, anything. Physical, bad. It's the soil that matters. Your soul. It's called Gnosticism, right? And out of our list of heresies, it was kind of fairly up there. Uh, and so it's this sort of evacuation theology. says, I'm going to get out here. Do you do notice it's like a step sole, uh, soapbox in my uh, It says, the gospel is about just this, this spiritual soul getting out here, getting out of here. And, and I know I feel like I'm probably preaching the choir some guys. But I had this uh, when, I was a, when I was a teenager. I was very proud of this door hanger that I kept on my bedroom door. And it said, uh, in case of rapture, don't bother knocking. You know. And, uh, you know, I was like, <laughs> you know, and uh, so wrong. And my mom has something similar hanging in her kitchen right now. And you know? I'm like, oh no. And, and you know you've seen the, the bumper. Like, literally, this door hanger, like, broke. And I taped it back together and put it back on my door. Um, oh, my gosh. we're, we're so, I'm glad I'm lighting now. But... Uh, no, uh, but you know, you've seen the door hangers that are like, or not the door hangers, but the bumper stickers that are like, uh, you know, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. Yeah, no, it's like, AKA, if Jesus comes back, my car's killing you. And, uh, you know, and anyway, we're so caught up in this sort of like, when God comes back, we're going to fly up and away, you know, and it's just so ironic because all through scripture, everything you read, everything you see, you hear, like, it, like we get that nowhere. Everywhere we look, it says, God is coming down, right? The incarnation, God is coming and dwelling among us, redeeming, rescuing, renewing, making all things new. He will come and live here, right? right. And so it, it, it's funny, you, all, you almost think like, man, we're going to be so caught go, going up when God's like coming down, we're going to be like, hey, wait, you know, like, uh, like where are you, you know? And, uh, you know, it's just like we're, we're heading opposite directions. Oh man! So the incarnation, uh, the incarnation speaks uh, something else, right? Uh, one theology is dangerous. One theology says that one theology says that nothing really matters. You know, it's like a it's like a scapegoat for for people to say uh, for even Christians to pr- to participate in the world burning, right? That if this whole if this whole thing just burns up. You know, well, I, I literally sat down in the, in, in the, at the dentist to get my uh, cavity filled a few weeks ago. And the dentist, who's always constantly uh, uh, deciding he wants to be a theologian, not a dentist, uh, says things like, he said something like, uh, well, I think we we're talking about the news or something, and it was maybe depressing as usual. And he, he was like, Oh, yeah, well, you know what? It doesn't matter. You know what it says in First Peter? Jesus could come back and blow this thing up. And, and with that, he takes this numbing needle and shoves it in my, in my gum, you know. It's like gut balls. Like, and, and without fail, every time I get a cavity filled. And, and, you know, it's like, but this is what we believe. Like, this is our license to watch the world burn. Uh, it's a dangerous theology. There's a reason it's called a heresy. And so here... Here you get Jesus concerning himself with these ordinary, keeping the wedding going, earthy, real sort of matters. And this first sign, this sign that points to who Jesus is, John tells us has to do with the wedding. It has to do with the wine. It has to do with you. It has to do with me. And so it's, And I don't think it's any coincidence. I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus takes these Two very real earthy elements, and he says, This is my body, this is my blood. <laughs> this broken for you, poured out for you what's more it 's more earthy than, than this. Are you with me this is what 's real it 's no surprise uh, for us right in the previous chapter. Right. so no surprise this follows it up. It says, The Word made flesh took up residence among us. And so, what does it mean this morning? That, that <laughs> Jesus has taken up residence among you, in your life, in, in your work, uh, in your education, right? Uh, in, in every part of you, at your home. And you're child rearing, and you're eating and you're drinking and your party planning and your pain and your coming and your going and all your ordinary everyday lives that Jesus comes and he takes up residence with you, right? The incarnation is the opposite, isn't it? It reminds us that everything matters. Are you with me? Everything matters. It's physical, it's real. And so what does it mean this morning? We're wrapping up, but what does it mean this morning that, that God is not only interested and involved and at your wedding, but that God uh, cares enough to, to, to keep the party going.
0: Uh,
1: but not even that, but to make 120 gallons of wine. It's like the, there's something in this text that if you miss this, you'd miss the text, that, that there's, a, there's a grace upon grace thing. There's an overabundance thing about who God is and about what salvation is. It's so much more. It's a grace upon grace, right? That, that, that God wants to be at and in and with you where you are in your ordinary, everyday, dirty life, right? Right there in the midst of it. But he wants there to be more, right? That there's this grace upon grace thing. Not in like a T.D. Like Jakes, God wants you to drive a big car, boy, you know. Not in that sort of way. But, like, in an in a Abraham, like, hey, God might want to bless all the nations through you sort of way, right? And if you get a new car, like, that's what's up, right? But that's not what it's about. You'll probably end up dirt poor, uh, actually, right? It's so interesting, actually, in the, in the text, too. Uh, you'll notice if, if, like a, if, something, if someone for, like the, like, the first century, like, a Jewish person would read this text, they'd be like, you know what, this kind of doesn't make sense. Because in the story, you'll realize all the people who are in the know, like the servants, <laughs> and the ones orchestrating uh, sort of the, the, the chaos, are like the servants, right? Not the hosts, not the people who are actually in charge. It's like there's just all these little backwards things in the text, right? And you might think, well, this is weird, except if you know anything about Jesus, and then you're like, hmm, yeah, okay. It's, it's sort of backwards. And so, um, why this morning... Wine is a symbol of, of heaven. Over and over again in the prophets, uh, when, when they talk about heaven, uh, they talk about uh, things that are earthy. They talk about vineyards. They talk about bartering. They talk about planting, uh, you know, in heaven. It's, it's earthy. It's incarnational. Right? And so John wants his readers to see something about Jesus, that heaven and earth here are, are mingling. Right, This is like way more than a party trick. Right? This is about heaven on earth. You know, And it's interesting as well that, that it's like you never actually see, the text never actually says that Jesus turns water into wine. Right? It doesn't say that. It never says Jesus changes water into wine. It doesn't even happen in the text, right? Well, what it, what it says is Jesus' mom, like a good mom, mother knows best, she says, uh, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus tells the servants what to do. And then the servants, acting under the authority of Jesus, do, does what he says. Right? And then the guy sips the cup, and then he's like, this is amazing. Right? But at no point does it say, like, Jesus turns the water into wine. But Jesus does this, does this sign as he does all his, as God does everything he does through you and through me, through his servants, right? And so, through the clinch pin of this text, I feel, is this just phrase. I mean, are you with me? Do, do, what, he, do what he tells you to do. Just like, do what he tells you. If you trust this Jesus, if you do what He says, you're going to see things that you don't have categories for. Do what He tells you. This is where our life is found, listening to the Word made flesh this morning. Uh, And so, to close this morning, uh, may you know that, that God desires to see heaven break into your own life. And all the earthy, dirty, human parts of your life that the incarnation pours into it. And that through you and that through us collectively uh, God wants to pour this thing out and make it beautiful. He will do great things in His ordinary, real, earthy place that we live this morning. Today, may you do what He tells you to do. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to switch gears a little bit some announcements and whatnot. Lord, we uh, thank you for uh, this text this morning. As it continues to shape us and move us and direct us, God, help us to receive it, what it means that, that your first sign has to do with something real and something ordinary and something earthy, God, that your kingdom is coming, Father, and that it is already arrived. Lord, and we continue to participate in heaven on earth even as we speak. We give you thanks in your name. Amen. (laughs)